Good morning. It is a pleasure to be able to be with you here at Rockway Mennonite Church this morning. I was thinking back, and I don't recall that I've ever been here on a Sunday morning for worship with you, so this um, is wonderful to be here, even though there are a lot of familiar faces that I see among those of you who are here, and probably some who are watching in as well. And I suppose now that I'm here with um, an MCEC hat as an eco-minister, I also ought to bring greetings from uh, MCEC. And it's nice to be able to be here representing uh, our, con our conference or our larger, broader church uh, in this new role and to be able to preach uh, an Earth Day sermon. Um, and I'd like to begin by telling you what this Earth Day sermon is not. It is not going to be 10 simple things that you can do to save the planet. It's not about uh, how bad things are or what you should do to uh, decrease your carbon footprint. It's not even about creation care or climate action. Because to be honest, I assume that you know all of those things. You have uh, a banner on the side of your building uh, that says faith, climate, justice, and you have an environment committee whose mandate it is uh, to educate, bring awareness and engagement in this topic. So, you know, I, I believe that you have a, a strong starting point here. You know these things. You have the information. And as Martina mentioned in her opening, um, that it's been decades already that we have been aware uh, that we're in trouble, that there are environmental um, crises that we need to be paying attention to and that the first Earth Day was in 1970. So 52 years that we have been celebrating or marking uh, this day and the importance of tending our, to our Earth. We're in no short supply of science, of documentaries and news reports, climate summits, books, articles, etc., that warn us that we face multiple complex ecolo ecological crises. Despite having all of this information, it seems that we haven't been making all of the significant changes that need to happen on either an indiv individual or societal level. If it was just about having the right information, we would have all made the necessary changes and solved things by now. But it seems that the environmental crises that we face will not be solved simply with more information or technological, political, economic strategies alone. A friend of mine, uh, a co-founder of the Wild Church Network, which we can talk about in the adult study if you're curious to know more, um, wrote a book this year called Church of the Wild, and in it she suggests, the very real, concrete changes our world desperately needs, but desperately resists, will not happen without compassionate and intimate reconnection with nature. And so this sermon is an invitation, an invitation to spiritual transformation that comes from connecting with creation and listening to God through listening to the earth. The global shift necessary to actually survive the crises that we've created depends on a deep inner change arising from restored relationships 
with the fullness of life and God's sacred presence among us here on earth. We have lived in large part out of a sort of, sorry, we live in large part out of a societal worldview that is mechanistic and reductive, that sees humanity as separate from nature. This perception that nature is something out there leads to any of our attempts to protect the earth as something that is altruistic, something that we do for someone or something else out of our own uh, goodwill. However, if our sense of self can become more rooted in a sense of kinship, a sense of connection with creation, then we are not acting altruistically, but we are inspired to protect the earth as our home, as part of our family, as part of our extended relations. And this is our calling as a church at this time, to listen to the earth and to pay attention with our hearts, to discover our creator's incarnate presence here on earth in the beauty and the brokenness, and to connect the dots between our experiences, our faith, our interconnectedness, and our action. Have you ever stopped to consider how much of our Bible takes place outside? Think about it. Really, so many of the stories and and pretty much all of the action takes place outdoors. It's bookended by the Garden of Eden in Genesis and a new creation centered around a river and the tree of life in Revelation. And in between, it's filled with stories like Noah and the flood, Abraham and Isaac, Moses and the burning bush, the Exodus, Jonah and the whale, uh, Elijah on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, well, first Jesus' baptism in 40 days uh, in the wilderness, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Paul preaching in the Acropolis in Athens, and many more. And sure, this maybe seems unremarkable, since the Bible records a completely different time in history. Throughout much of the biblical period, people lived in tents or small dwellings with no electricity. It takes place in the Middle East or the Mediterranean where the climate is much more moderate than ours. Of course, it was outdoors. But still, don't you think, don't you think that all of that time spent outdoors, living and working outdoors, must have somehow affected how they saw and related to God? Don't you think that maybe they knew how to listen to and relate to the earth in a more sacred manner as well? Wendell Berry, who is uh, a poet, a farmer, and a philosopher, has written that the Bible is a book that is best read outdoors and as far outdoors as possible. That might sound simplistic, but really... It's rather radical, considering if you think about our modern North American lifestyles. Studies show that us North Americans, North American adults at least, live 90% of our lives indoors. 
there are exceptions, and there certainly are times within a week or within the scope of a year when we might be outside more, but on average, in our day-to-day -day lives, we spend less than 20 minutes a day outside. And that's not usually even in one chunk. That is just a collection of minutes collected between moving between our indoor spaces from our house to our cars, our vehicles, to our places of work, of study, of worship, of commerce. And then back again. I wonder, what have we lost by shifting our lives indoors so radically, so completely? Does where we spend our time affect our faith, how we read scripture, or how we expect to encounter God? In the preface to his book, God Unbound, Theology in the Wild, Brian McLaren points out that for several, or for several centuries now, most of our white Christian theologizing and worship has moved indoors. The theology that shapes our thinking today has been done in square boxes called offices, classrooms, libraries, and sanctuaries, surrounded by square books and now square screens, in square buildings that look out square windows, you don't have square windows here at least, but you can't see through them. Um, <laughs> so looking out square, bin square, willed, square windows at other square buildings laid out in square blocks. And this boxed in theology exists almost exclusively within climate controlled spaces that maintain a comfortable and consistent temperature no matter the season, the weather, the latitude, or the time of day. But nothing in creation is square. And God is not confined to boxes. In this age of climate crisis, we have shut ourselves off from reality by enclosing ourselves in our climate-controlled boxes? Have we at the same time shut ourselves off from the fullness of God? McLaren goes on to write that theology arising from human-made, human-controlled architecture of walls and mirrors, of doors and locks, of 90-degree angles and monochrome-painted surfaces of thermostats and plumbing will surely reflect the prejudices and limited imaginations of its makers. When we get outside more and read the Bible that is an outdoor book in the open air, we have the opportunity to gain new perspectives. We ask different questions. Maybe we begin to realize that our neighbor might include the species who live in our watershed with us. Maybe we consider that when we are instructed to serve the least among us, that that may include endangered species or desecrated landscapes. When we get outdoors, we also allow ourselves to experience the fullness of life. We are reminded that life doesn't just happen on warm, sunny days. There is so much beauty and wisdom and complexity and depth 
that comes from getting out of our climate-controlled boxes and experiencing life and interconnection with creation. Let's revisit for a moment the passage from Job that Hannah read for us. These are the words of Job spoken to his friends. But ask the animals what they think. Let them teach you. Let the birds tell you what's going on. Put your ear to the earth. Learn the basics. Listen. The fish of the ocean will tell you their stories. Isn't it clear that they know and agree that God is sovereign? That God holds all things in God's hand? Every living soul. Yes, every breathing creature. And that was from the message. This is interesting counsel from, from Job. And it seems to me to have resonance with Jesus' invitations to receive lessons from the birds and the lilies, salt, mustard seeds, sheep, vines, and the like. Jesus, who we hear is the firstborn of all creation, came to redeem and reconcile all that lives and exists, not humanity alone, and not in isolation from all of the more than human world that also is held in our creator's loving gaze. Texts like these ones that we heard from Job and Colossians, among others, point us toward an understanding that all of creation is both sacred and revelatory. God breathed the spirit into, of life into all creatures. God established an everlasting covenant with Noah, his descendants, and, uh, and the earth and all living creatures. We walk on holy ground. The heavens declare the glory of God. Ancient peoples with lives oriented outdoors would have understood all of this. And maybe we have forgotten. For too long, we in the West have come to see the world as filled with commodities and natural resources to be exploited for our own gain. We have been led to see the world as a collection of objects for our use and disposal. Thomas Merton, who was a Catholic monk and one of the very first eco-theologians, points us in a different direction, teaching that the world is in fact a communion of subjects. We and all of creation share a kinship. We are part of a community of creation. And another way of talking about this or is uh, describing the earth as a book of creation, that everything that exists in the natural order has the potential of teaching us about God. God's overflowing love is revealed through scripture, through Jesus, and through all of creation. Creation is revelatory a window into a larger reality beyond our own egocentric self-interests. It invites us to explore our interrelatedness, the earthy and yet God-ordained wisdom of natural cycles, and a more ecocentric view of life. What I am inviting us today is into an experiential way of encountering God. A call to get out of our boxes 
and to reconnect with the living God in the natural world. A call to awaken our voice, <clears throat> excuse me, a call to awaken to the voice of God calling to us through the blue heron, through spring peepers, through composting deadwood, through Schneider Creek, which I believe is the closest waterway to you here at Rockway. This is an invitation to think beyond simply caring for creation and stewarding the Earth's resources. It's an invitation to enter into an actual relationship with particular places like Silver Lake and your backyard and the grounds here. To enter into a relationship with particular places and particular beings of the living world that can provide embodied, rooted inspiration for transformation. The global shift that is necessary to actually survive the crises that we've created depends on deep interchange and reconnection. I recognize that maybe rather ironically, I'm talking about all of this while we are here indoors. Or participating on screens, maybe those who are watching on screens are on their decks or balconies. But I would like to shift a bit here at this point in my sermon, away from just listening to me talk, to engaging in a contemplative practice that will invite us to listen to the earth. And you've all been invited to have a piece of creation, perhaps something that you picked up from one of the baskets or something that you brought with you. Um, something that you might have with you at home, and if you don't have something at home, you can go grab something. I'm just going to grab what I have. When I was walking here this morning, I, uh, I passed an elderly man on the path who had a stick that was maybe three times this large that he was carrying with him, and I thought, wow, how interesting. Usually I only see young children and dogs with a big stick. But here was an elder carrying a big stick, and he inspired me to find a big stick to have with me today. I thought, he's my kind of guy. So what I'm, I'm going to be inviting us to do is to engage in an ancient practice, um, a variation of an ancient practice known as Lectio Divina, which is a prayerful, um, reflective way of reading a text but in this case, we will be inviting, invited to read, um, to read uh, creation as our sacred text, as a way of encountering God's presence and God's wisdom. So what you have in your hands, hopefully you're holding it now, is created and blessed by God. And as we enter into this time of sacred listening, I will uh, lead us in a bit of grounding or centering in a way that's somewhat familiar, or what, somewhat similar to how I begin our worship when I lead Burning Bush Forest Church. So I invite you to make yourself comfortable. Close your eyes and bring your attention to your breath. 
Think of the spirit of life that breathes through you every moment of your life. Bring to mind the air that enters your lungs and then extends out from your lungs as you exhale, moving beyond you and beyond the walls to fill the whole sky encircling the planet. Your breath is an act of reciprocity connecting you with all photosynthesizing plant life and all creatures who breathe. Now feel the weight of your body against your chair or your feet connected to the floor. Consider the gravitational pull that holds you and connects you with the earth. Think about how it connects you to this particular place, the place that is your house of worship or your home or wherever you are this moment. In this place, you are a part of the community of creation, the web of life. Let us also bring ourselves into fuller awareness of God's sacred presence here and now. God desires our closeness and our connection, both with God and with the earth. And let us call upon God's creative inspiration as we engage in paying attention in new ways. May God be in our thoughts and in our knowing. May God be in our hearts and in our loving. May God be in our hands and in our touching. May God be in our eyes and in our seeing. I invite you to slowly open your eyes now and center your gaze on what it is that you have in your hands. Look, as it, look at it as if you were seeing it for the first time. See it as if you were looking at it through God's eyes. God who created it for a purpose and blessed it. Whatever it is that you have, recognize in it either an element or an organic part of our shared watershed, one of our neighbors, and let it remind you that together we are embedded in a diverse and beautiful web of life. As you ponder and pay attention to this piece of creation, engage your gifts of sensory perception 
and thoughtful reflection. Imagine how this one reflects the radiance of God. And if you're able to listen with your heart rather than with your rational brain, imagine what it might have to share with you. Of its story or its existence or its connection beyond itself. Imagine what role you, what you are holding has, sorry, what role does what you are holding play in our ecosystem? What is its purpose? Are there ways that it contributes to the well-being of the whole? What would be lost in our community if it or what it represents didn't exist? And I invite you to spend just one more minute in silence as you offer it your gift of attention and just see what arises. And as we end this short time of reflection, spend a moment of gratitude for this particular piece of creation and for the magnificent kinship of life that we have all been given. Amen. So that was a bit abbreviated as I realized what time it was, but I hope that it proved to be somewhat insightful for you, offering a meaningful moment of listening to God's presence and God's wisdom 
And I'd invite you, just before I offer a closing benediction, to just ask yourself, what is one insight that you feel God might be offering you today through what we've experienced? Or one thing that you'd like to continue to ponder? And perhaps we can come back to those during the second uh, hour if people feel moved to talk about this. But now as we end our time of worship, I invite you to stand for a, as I offer words of benediction. <clears throat> Creator of all, firstborn of all creation, you have connected us through time and space with all that exists. May we go with eyes open to seeing your sacred presence all around us, with ears tuned to hear your message proclaimed through creation, with hands open to both give and receive, and with hearts full of love. Amen. <clears throat>